The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, and she had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your disease. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was about 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. Jesus strictly ordered them that they should, that no one should know about this. And told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Blessed be the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. It caused quite a stir. The words on Melania's coat, I don't care, do you? What's under those words? Was it a lament that we should care more about the migrant families? Was it a lament the way her husband has been treated? Are we to care more? Are we to care less? 
What's under the words? I wonder the same thing when I ask people how they are, and they say, I'm okay. Sometimes when I say that, I'm actually not okay because it's a better thing not to lie, right? When you don't have a lot of time to give the answer. But sometimes the pastor has a few more moments to get under those words. And the I'm not okay last week when I was talking to someone actually meant they weren't okay. And that this person and the spouse had heard that day about a cancer diagnosis of someone and a suicide of another person. Sometimes we don't know what's under the words. In today's first reading, we have poignant words of David, words of great grief. And we might wonder what is under them. David is grieving two very important men in his life, Saul and Jonathan. We'll start with Saul. It's rather ironic that David is grieving his loss. They had been in a cat and mouse chase. There had been all kinds of battles and Saul was out to kill David. Saul had increasingly been sort of losing his mind and becoming paranoid. Another reason you wonder why David's grieving. But three times in this passage, David says the mighty have fallen. And then we have this amazing poetry about the love between David and Jonathan. Jonathan, David's soulmate, his best friend. And these words, greatly beloved were you to me. How wonderful your love surpassing the love of women. Now we have to be careful to read back into biblical times our understanding of relationships and intimacy and sexual orientation. And yet here in this passage, particularly for same gender relationships, is this example of intimate, deep, and abiding friendship. Because when a heart is broken, a heart is broken. Which leads to this concept of lament I wanna to mention to you. This passage is a lament. It's like a complaint to God. That is not a concept I grew up with as a young Lutheran. You're just supposed to accept what happens to you. Accept the will of God. Don't question, don't get mad at God. But lament is biblical. The Bible is filled with lament, particularly Psalms, where people shake their fists at God. Where were you, God? How can you do this to us? You have rejected me forever. As our psalm for today said, out of the depths, I call to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Things change, don't they? And now in our hymnal, there is a whole section of lament hymns. And we will sing one today. There are lament litanies, and we will use one today. Think about the times we lament after a national disaster or in times of great illness or loss. Sometimes a protest is a lament and we may lament the injustice in the world or we, we may lament the way the earth is treated. I ran across the title of a book called Spiritual Complaint, helping us as Christians 
to be more comfortable with this sometimes shaking our fists at God or the universe or at life. When we feel helpless and you wonder what is under some of the words that we say. This isn't an excuse for us to just feel sorry for ourselves, to complain, to bitch, to kvetch. This is when it's too deep for words. In today's gospel, it's a leader of a synagogue, Jairus, who comes to Jesus, his heart full of lament, for his daughter is near death. And then, when Jesus gets there, there's weeping and wailing and loud lamentation because the girl is dead. It reminds us that our thoughts, sometimes about moving through grief too quickly, may not be so healthy. So I envy our Jewish siblings, where they have spe specific rituals for mourning after a death or after seven days, or 30 days, or a year. We could learn from them as we become more comfortable with both grief and lament, knowing there are all kinds of losses that we face, and that sometimes grief is cumulative for us. William Sloan Coffin was the pastor of Riverside Church in New York City. He lost his 24-year-old son in a terrible accident on a day with stormy weather, an auto accident. Coffin tells the story of a couple days after his, of the accident when a woman comes through the door with about 18 quiches in her hand, he says. And as she rushes to the kitchen, she says over her shoulders, I just don't understand the will of God. What's under those words? They got Coffin, the theologian, going. They got him riled up, and he just shot back to her. I'll say you don't, lady. The point is, sometimes we say too much. It's hot. I don't have time for a whole grief 101 lesson for all of us. But I want to just mention three things that many people have learned and I've learned not to say at times of grief. One is, everything happens for a reason. The next is, they're just in a better place. And the third is, I understand how you feel. Let's talk more about that at other times. But what I would say as your pastor, in those times of lament when there are no words, be okay with no words. Maybe it's just a gentle touch. Maybe it's an embrace. And maybe it's a casserole. So that I don't go on too long, because one thing I lament is too many words when there are no words. I do want to close with a poem called The Thing Is by Ellen Bass. To love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, its tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills 
than lungs. When grief wakes you like your own flesh, only more of it, an obesity of grief, you think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violent eyes, and you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again.